Newport Church. We're so glad you're here this morning. My name is Alan Dice. I'm one of the pastors here at Newport, and uh, I want to welcome you here. If you're here this morning, Sunday morning, or if you're watching by video or, or some other way, you're listening to the audio. Uh, know you, if you miss a sermon, you can always go to newportchurch.net, and you can see uh, catch up on past sermons by video or, or audio. We are beginning, uh, kicking off a, a whole new sermon series. Uh, let's go to that next slide. Could we do that, Madeline? There we go. Kicking off a whole new sermon series today called Table Talk, Living in Thankfulness. And we're going to be uh, starting that today, continuing next Sunday. Uh, Pastor Merle's going to be continuing with this theme next Sunday, so don't miss it. You want to be here next Sunday for uh, part two of, of Table Talk. And also, if you did not get sermon notes, we were handing out sermon notes as people were coming in this morning. If you didn't get them, uh, wave your hand up in the air if you didn't get, uh, didn't get sermon notes, and someone will come and give them to you. Anyone need sermon notes yet here this morning? Okay, uh, could someone uh, grab some sermon notes and, and hand them out to people whose hands are in the air? Wave your hands up high. Anyone else need sermon notes here this morning? There you go. Okay, great. Thank you. Awesome. So I, uh, we were talking about this slide. We were talking about this uh, this new sermon series, Table Talk. It, it sort of reminds me of the conversation that you have around the table when you're sitting down to eat with with family and with friends. Um, and and we're talking about living in thankfulness. And I want to focus on one specific thing. We could be talking about being thankful for. You know, hundreds of things in our lives. I want to talk this morning about being thankful for family. And there's some aspects of family that, that I want to talk uh, specifically about today that I think, I think God put on my heart. So we're going to thank God for families. And, and that, you know, I think the important thing to know is that God designed us as social creatures to live in relationship, to live in family. You know, one of the hardest punishments uh, when you're in prison is solitary confinement because you don't have human interaction with, with anyone else. To deprive someone of personal interaction and relationship is, is serious punishment. You know, uh, I often draw some of my sermon illustrations from Hollywood movies, and I think of the old movie Home Alone where Kevin McAllister, the little boy, is so sick of his family, and he's so sick of the people around him that finally he just blurts out, when I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. Do you hear me? I'm living alone. It's like, I wonder how that's going to work. If you grow up and get married, you're going to live alone. <laughs> I'm not sure how, how that works. But, uh, you know, God created us as social creatures to be in relationship with each other. Now, there are two parts to this family aspect I want to focus on this morning. Uh, first of all, thanking God for natural families, for the families that, that uh, we're, we have like blood relationships or, or uh, we're related to uh, somehow. Because natural families are, are God's plan. Genesis 2 and verse 18, God s clearly saw in the Garden of Eden that it wasn't good for man to be alone. It wasn't good for people to be on their own. So we thank God for his plan 
for family. And, and to Adam, he said this, and he, he brought to her, he created from Adam's rib a woman, and he brought woman Eve to, to Adam so that they could be together. Now, uh, so we thank God for his plan for family. And that was God's plan from the very beginning, that there would be husband and wife and family. Uh, we thank God for his plan for family. Now, we know that God sometimes calls people to be single. And if you're called to be married, God designed family to be one woman and one man for life. Genesis 2 and verse 24, Therefore a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. So we thank God not only for his plan for family, but his plan for marriage. And, and uh, not all, but many families are blessed with, with children. And, and Psalm 127, God's word says children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward. You know, I, sometimes I get the idea that, that people view, view children as just a, a pain or a nuisance to be endured. Well, God's word doesn't say that. God's word says children are a gift or, or a reward. Um, and that's, uh, that's, what, that's what God's attitude is toward, toward children. From God's point of view, they're a reward. They're a blessing. Here at Newport Church, we love to see children come and, and engage in church life, not, not to be, uh, uh, you know, this uh, set-apart uh, little, little spot, but we want, we want children to be part of the church family and, and to be engaging in the church family. So we thank God for his plan not just for family, for marriage, but for children. And then God's plan is for children to be raised in a family in an atmosphere of, of love and training and teaching. Deuteronomy uh, 6, God tells the children of Israel, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. We're to, uh, as parents, we're to love and teach and train our children. The, the highest calling of a parent is to lead your child to relationship with God. Find a time to impart into your children the truths of God's word. Some of the, the basic Bible foundations of my life were learned at six and seven years old when uh, before we went to bed at night, we, we would sit down and my mom would read us Bible stories out of a Bible story book. And that was the, you know, the uh, faith foundation of my life, and I challenge us to, to continue those kinds of parental training and teaching of our children about God's Word and, and about who God is. Now, God's plan is also for family to be a place of honor. Say that word, honor, honor. God's Word calls us, because each of us is a child or was a child at one point, right? Maybe some of you can remember being a child. God's word calls us to honor and respect and obey your parents. Exodus 20 and, and Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents. Now, notice there's a difference, I think, and I would call that, between just obeying your parents and honoring your parents. Because if, if you're just obeying your parents, you, that can be just an outward action, like, okay, I'm going to... Uh, clean up my room and, and put my stuff away. And that's an outward action, you know, something you do on the outside. But honoring is a heart issue. Honoring is something you do from the heart. And so 
you, can, you can easily obey your parents, but on the inside in your heart, you can be grinding your teeth and saying, oh, I really, really hate what I'm doing here. But honoring is, is not only the, the outward action, but honoring is also the, the inward heart action. Like, I'm going to honor my parents in, in my, my obeying of them. So, uh, God's word says that, that the family is also a place of honor where the elderly are honored and cared for. I, I read across this verse in the Bible lately that uh, wasn't quite sure I knew was there, but it talks about showing respect and reverence to older people or elderly people. I'm not sure if I, I think I qualify as older. I'm not sure. Uh, Leviticus 19 and verse 32 says, Stand up in the presence of the aged and show respect for the elderly. So I get the picture if Mannheim had a subway, you know, and, and we were all getting on the subway and, and you were sitting in a seat in the subway and, and an elderly lady gets on that you stand up and you give your seat to the older lady or, you know, you, you help someone across the street or, or you do something that, that shows honor and respect to, to people who are elderly or, or older than you. So we thank God for natural families. We thank God for his word that talks about honoring and respecting and, and obeying. Natural families, relationships, marriages, children, parents and grandchildren and grandparents. But if you think about your own family, or maybe you want to think about someone else's family, you realize that there's no family that's just completely perfect. Every family has its, you know, its funny characteristics, its weird traditions, strange members. Probably every family has like this weird Uncle Norman somewhere, you know, or this, this uh, weird Aunt, Aunt uh, Beulah somewhere. It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're going to a family get-together and we're going to see Uncle Norman today. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the way it is. You know, another movie that, that I love to use sometimes as a... Uh, as a uh, sermon illustration, is, is the old movie called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Anyone ever seen that? So, so it, it's the story of a, uh, of a young lady whose name is Tula, and, and her, her dad just desperately wants her to get married. And, uh, and she meets this young man by the name of Ian, and Ian doesn't realize that, that Tula comes from a Greek family. And there's a lot of stories that come along with being fr from a Greek family, and and, and Tula says, uh, you know, Ian, Ian says, uh, what do you do for Christmas with your family? And Tula says, uh, my mom makes roast lamb. And Ian says, mmm, with mint jelly? And Tula says, no. And, and there's this long pause, and then Tula begins to explain what it means to be part of a, of a Greek family. And Tula says, so what happens is my dad and my uncles, they fight over who gets to, over who gets to eat the lamb brain. And then my Aunt Vola, she forks the eyeball and she chases me around with it, trying to get me to eat it because it's going to make me smart. And, and Tula says to Ian, you have two cousins. I have 27 first cousins, just 27 first cousins alone. My whole family is big and loud and everybody is into each other's lives and business all the time. Like you never have a moment alone just to think because we're always together just eating and eating and eating. And Ian says, wow. <laughs> You know, and, you know, um, I think the point of the whole movie was that every family has its 
Every natural family has its weirdness in a, little, in a lot of ways. Uh, not all families are this picture-perfect image. And, and uh, I love the artist, early American artist uh, named Norman Rockwell. And, and he had this, just the knack of taking people's faces and, and showing, showing American society sort of either what they looked like or maybe telling them what they ought to look like. And so he, he painted pictures like, like this, you know, just, just showing this, this perfect little happy family where everyone's smiling and happy, and, and it looks like this, just this perfect place. And, and either um, we sort of get the message that this is the way we, we ought to be. But, you know, I still come here this morning saying every family in one way or another has its challenges and its uniquenesses. Uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas holidays that are coming up, you know, they can be tremendously beautiful family holidays, but they can also shine a spotlight on stress and strain in our families as well. Many have experienced death or loss or, or pain, sicknesses, injuries, crises. Maybe there's a family member who's not here this year that, that was there last year or some, some are away for some reason or other. Uh, some of our families have walked through abuse or divorce. Some are step families and adoptive families and, and need to work through all the transitions uh, that have and adjustments that have to come with that. Uh, and I think Thanksgiving and Christmas can be the times we anticipate and hope for the most, but we also face the reality that no, not all family get-togethers are perfect scenes. So Norman Rockwell painted another one that's really famous. We see it at, th at Thanksgiving time, and it looks like this. Anyone, anyone ever seen this before? Yeah, some of you have. Um, and, and we see here, um, you know, j again, just this uh, perfect-looking family, family picture. Um, and uh, we know that that's not always reality for, for people because people also go into holidays uh, just facing pain and, and facing the, the, the troubles and trials that come along with life. And, and some people around us are just completely alone during the holiday season. That, that's supposed to be about warmth and family and togetherness. And if there's nothing else, there's just the busyness and stress and complexity of, of modern life. Some of you are sitting here saying, well, family get-togethers, you don't know the awkward, strange family situations I have to deal with. And so my question for you this morning is, how are Christians supposed to find their way through holiday challenges, especially relating to family? And I have, I, have, I think, six godly principles that um, uh, will, I believe, help us in, in finding our way through dealing with our natural families and the relationships that we have. And, and so uh, six of them. Number one, choose to love and forgive. Even when family members or, or even just people in general around us don't deserve it uh, or don't love in return. You know, I don't know if you've, you've ever chosen to love someone who's just totally unloving or unlovely and, and does not return that love to you. And, and sometimes that happens. Uh, and, and you may say, I know I'm supposed to love that person. I know I'm supposed to forgive that person, but they just don't deserve it. Did you ever have someone who just doesn't deserve to be forgiven? Well, yeah, but when you stop and think about it, 
you and I, we, we didn't deserve to be forgiven by God either, did we? There's nothing we could have done. There's nothing that we could have, we could have said to earn uh, the forgiveness that, that we get from God. And yet, yet uh, uh, God sometimes calls us to love and forgive people around us who, who haven't earned it and who, who don't deserve it. Colossians 3.13 is a really interesting scripture, uh, especially the first few words here. Colossians 3 says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And I really think it's interesting that those, those opening words, bearing with one another. How do you bear with people that, that you'd really like not to love and forgive? You know, bearing with one another means maybe that, that slow driver, and you're in a hurry, and there's that slow driver who's driving exactly the speed limit right in front of you, and you would so love to go faster. And, and God's Word tells you to bear with one another. And, and then, uh, you know, bearing with one another. Uh, maybe it's you're in a hurry, and you're in a grocery store, and, and uh, you're in a line, and that person in front of you, is just a chatty person. He just wants to stand and talk to the checkout clerk and talk and talk and talk. And you're back there in a hurry. And you're you. Oh, why can't we? Why can't we get moving here? And and God's word says to bear with one another. There's some examples, and you could probably think of some examples too of, of how we bear with one another. Don't hold on to grudges, resentments, and offenses. I heard someone talk about uh, being offense. Proof, like like you take on your back and you and you put Teflon on your back. You know what Teflon is? It's it's nonstick. You know nothing sticks to to Teflon. And so and you you put on Teflon armor so that whatever th people throw at you, it doesn't stick. It rolls off, and you become offense proof. Whatever whatever remarks come at me, whatever uh, uh, actions come come against me, it's going to roll off my back in the name of Jesus. I'm going to be offense proof. Uh, I choose to pray for my family members, even those who don't deserve it, even those who've wronged me, even those who've, who've abused me. In our, in our prayer time here before the service this morning, uh, we got the picture of, of some uh, ropes that had lots and lots of knots in them this morning. And I, I really felt those knots represented some of us here in our, in our past who've had relationships that aren't resolved, forgivenesses that haven't happened, offenses that are still there, hurts and wounds and, and uh, uh, just things that have happened in our past that aren't resolved in relationships. And I feel like this morning, God wants to untie some knots in people's lives and in, in people's past here this morning, I, I believe that there, there are going to be forgiveness given that, that's never been given before. And that, that people's offenses uh, in your past are going to be broken down in the name of Jesus. I, I love the verse in Romans that says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what does that say? That means that... that uh, there may be situations, uh, human relationship situations around you that, that won't ever be perfect. But as it depends on you, you do all that you can to live at peace with that person. Number two, God is walking with you through your situations. Embrace 
his presence through each season of life, the good times, the hard times. So you embrace and you thank God for his presence because he's always there each step of the journey along with you in every season, every circumstance of life. Number three, try for clear communication. And that means don't assume or judge people's hearts or motives. And so, uh, you know, sometimes we jump, make jumps to, of conclusions saying, you know, she said this, so it must mean that, that uh, she, she, uh, she means this in her heart. And, and uh, she said that, so it must mean that she's angry at me. Well, not necessarily. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't, don't uh, assume or judge what's in people's hearts. You know, only God knows what's in people's hearts. And, and, uh, and so we can try for clear communication. Number four, know that, that true peace, joy, contentment, rest come only through Jesus. And, the, you know, at, at holiday time, we, we like to focus on, on stuff. And, you know, really, more stuff won't make you happy. You know, another game console won't make you happy. More diamonds won't make you happy. Well, yeah. Uh, more power tools maybe <laughs> won't make you happy. Uh, a car with a gigantic red bow on it can be exciting for a moment, but in the end, it's not going to, it's not going to make you happy. Real joy, real contentment, real peace, real rest come only through Jesus. Number five, include those who have no family because you know, you go back to that Norman Rockwell painting of, the, of all the family gathered around the Thanksgiving table and they're putting the turkey on the table. And, and uh, pictures like that can just, can just heap hurt on those who have no family or totally alone in life. So watch out for those lonely people. Adopt them into your family. Thanksgiving and Christmas can be the, the loneliest time of year for, for some people. And number six, choose gratitude where you see God at work. Uh, and believe me, even in the hardest family members, old Uncle Norman, God still might be at work in his life. God is at work in his life, even in the toughest family members. So you, you do more to, to pray for him and maybe less to, to try to change him because, you know, to tell you the truth, Uncle Norman's probably always going to be Uncle Norman in, in some ways, and, and you might may just have to bear with Uncle Norman the way, the way he is. But God's at work in him, and God's changing him. So choose gratitude for the tiny, simple things that we often overlook. Choose gratitude for God's blessings and God's plan of salvation, which, as I said, we don't deserve and we, we can't earn. If you have a family, thank God for your family, even in all its, in, in its weird stuff. Thank God for... Weird old Uncle Norman, thank you, God, for natural families. So we also want to thank God this morning for spiritual families because not only does God uh, intend to bring us into natural families, uh, husband, wife, uh, mother, father, God brings us into his family, which is the church, uh, which is God's idea of a, of a spiritual family. And if you're a believer in Jesus here this morning, You've been adopted into God's family. This means that, that each of us at one time was like an orphan, an outcast. 
having rebelled and rejected and run away from God in our sins. And Ephesians 1, 4 says, Long before he, God, laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He'd settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. Now, this is a different kind of family where God is our father, Jesus is our brother. The Bible says we are co-heirs with Jesus, meaning we inherit from, from God everything that, that Jesus has received. We share in the, in the glory and, and the riches that Jesus has. John 17, the glory you have given me, I have given to them. 2 Corinthians 8, uh, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus calls the church his body, 1 Corinthians 12. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, uh, I want you to watch out for uh, talk like this, where, where I've heard people say, wow, I, I love Jesus, but I really don't like the church. And, and I want to tell you this morning that we can't love Jesus and hate his body. The, the Bible, Jesus says that, that the, the church is the body of Christ, and you can't love one and, and hate the other. If we follow Jesus, we must somehow be in fellowship with his body somehow here, here on earth. God puts us into both natural families, and God puts us into spiritual families to stir each other up here this morning, to use our gifts to spur each other, to help each other, to serve each other to love each other, to, to lift each other up. And if you're, if you're like me, there are some times when, when you might even feel more connected to your spiritual family than to your, you know, your big extended, extended natural family. And, and if you think about it and you look at the world map and you look where churches are all around the world and all the nations, uh, God's family is this vast, diverse, worldwide group of, of people. You know, just think about, think about all the ways that people worship God around the world. And it's like, uh, it shouldn't come as a surprise that there are lots of people who worship God around the world a little differently than we do here in Elm, Pennsylvania this morning. A little bit differently. You know, people worship God in cathedrals, all the way to tents, to, to buildings made of, of sticks and poles and mud. Uh, people worship God in house churches and and mega churches and community churches. People worship God with hymns and, and with silence and with pipe organs and worship bands and choirs and chants and lectionary and contemporary and contemplative from hip-hop to classical. People worship God in, in hundreds of different languages and cultures, cold climates, hot climates, Sundays and every day of the week. This is God's diverse worldwide family. In all this diversity, all this variety, we all have in common. We are followers and disciples of Jesus. That, that's what binds us all together. That's what holds us all together. Have you ever met another believer in maybe another nation that you uh, perhaps couldn't communicate well with or couldn't communicate uh, well with at all? Uh, you might not even be able to communicate, but there's this, uh, you meet another Christian in another nation, and there's just just this camaraderie and there, there's a sweet connection 
that happens instantly because you both know that, that you serve and follow the same Jesus, that, that you're on the same team, you're on the same army. Jesus is what binds us all together, nations and languages and, and uh, uh, peoples all over the world. Jesus is what binds us together. Nothing or no one else could bind such a worldwide family together. Now, uh, I wonder if anyone could, could think of an answer to my question. How many Christian churches are in the Mannheim and Lidditz area? Some people would start adding up and think, well, there's this one, this one, this one, this one. Is it a trick question? Yes, it's a trick question. How many uh, Christian churches are in the Mannheim and Lidditz area? There's one. There's one Christian church in the Mannheim and Lidditz area. There are lots of varieties of it, but there's one church. There's one body of Christ. We are all members of Jesus' body with all the other believers in our community, in our, in our region here. And so we ought to love and cooperate with all that God is doing, not just here, but in our region across, across uh, our community. And, and too often, I believe that we, we hunker down in our, our own little bubbles, our own little silos, and we, we never see or we never try to cooperate with uh, what God is doing across our region in, in, lots of, in lots of churches. John 17, Jesus prayed that they all, that's us, they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Jesus wanted all the believers in the world to be, to be one, to be together in unity. To be united means that I put away competition. It means that I, that I uh, uh, stop competing with other churches and other Christians because we're all in the same family. We're all in the same army. We're maybe different units and regiments in the same army, but we're still all in the same in the same army, fighting against the same enemy. So to be one means I pray for the growth and success of every church I go past throughout the week. You think, wow, I'm driving down the road. I go past this church in my community. Well, I bless that church. In Jesus' name, I bless the outreach of that church. I bless the leadership of that church. I, pr I pray that people get saved at that church. I pray for revival in that church. And I bless... And, and pray for every church of the community that, that I drive by. Now, on the other hand, there, there are some Christians that put time and energy into, into bashing other Christians, pointing fingers. And, you know, there are hundreds of, of different ways that can be done. You use the wrong Bible translation. You worship wrong. You look bad. Uh, other Christians are, uh, you know, and there are lots of... Uh, Lots of ways that, that Christians um, attack each other. But let me say this morning that other Christians are not the enemy. I want you to get that this morning. Other Christians are not the enemy, okay? One of Satan's strategies is to get Christians to fight each other. And it's, it's worked. <laughs> it's worked at times. So be careful about feeding yourself divisive food because we are all together in, in one family and in, in one army. A um, hundred years ago, that kind of criticism um, happened when someone preached a sermon or, or wrote a book. Today, you can be critical of someone else and you can write a tweet or a blog to a global audience and 
in, uh, of millions, uh, and that can happen in, in seconds. And so just about any move of God, whether that's um, you know, anything that produces fruit, any new style of worship, any new Bible translation, any uh, high-profile leader accumulates a crowd of Internet criticizers and condemners. And Jesus gives us clear instructions about what to do when our brother sins or when there's a broken relationship in our lives. Surprisingly, our first move is not to go on the Internet and blast away. Uh, Jesus said very clearly, when, when there's a broken relationship with you and someone else, uh, you go one-on-one. Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Uh, if you're offering your gift at the altar, that means you're coming into church on Sunday morning, and you remember that someone has something against you, you leave your gift there before the altar and you go. So it's more important to go and be reconciled with your brother or sister than to come to church on Sunday morning. So I give you permission to not come to church on Sunday morning if you're going out and getting reconciled with, with your brother or sister where there's a broken relationship. And Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't tell other people. Don't tweet or blog or post on Facebook. If nothing else, perhaps you can't. Perhaps you know, you're uh, upset at someone who lives in California and you can't actually talk to that person, then you keep quiet and you pray. And you pray about the situation. You pray for that person. But Paul says, have nothing to do with a divisive person. So we thank God for the worldwide body of Christ around, uh, you know, around the whole earth, for our brothers and sisters who live in other nations, who are worshiping uh, God today, maybe yesterday, maybe tomorrow, in, in other nations, in other, in other ways. And, and we, we bless the body of Christ here in, in the northern Lancaster County region. Uh, we pray for each other, and, and we, we bless each other. So worship team, would you like to come? We'd like to uh, thank God this morning for our natural families. We thank God for spiritual families. And if you look on your sermon notes this morning, I've got some next, next steps for you that, that uh, I'd really like you to, to uh, be part of. Uh, this is your homework assignment for this week. The most important message in all the world is this, that if you get nothing else, that God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you can be forgiven, so that you can come into new life, so that you can come into God's kingdom. And you enter God's family when you believe in Jesus and his death and resurrection to save you. So we're going to extend that invitation again this morning. If you've been far away from God or perhaps you've never uh, chosen to, to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to do that this morning. Number two, if you haven't exactly been honoring or respecting of your parents at times, ooh, admit it to them and ask their forgiveness. Um, it's best to have these talks face-to-face, -face, but do it no matter what. Even if it's a text message, go ahead and do that. Number three, thank God each day this week for your natural families and your spiritual families. Pray for the people God lays on your heart. Because if you, you ask God, he will lay people on your heart that you need to pray for. And fourthly, pray for the churches 
you drive past, you walk past, you go past this week. Find ways to work with other believers in our region. Lastly, I have a, I have a scripture from the message translation, and I love the scripture from Colossians chapter 3. So I'd like you all to stand. We're going to read the scripture together, and then we're going to go into a time of ministry and worship here this morning. So I'd, I'd just like you, if you're able to, either from the screen or from your, from your handout, we're going to read the scripture together. And your assignment is to read the scripture each day this week. So here we go. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. We're going to enter into a time of, of worship and ministry. Uh, prayer ministers, would you like